What is up, Delicious Achievements? Welcome back. reason it just takes me a little bit to kind of get into the okay I think it's it up okay hold on hold on okay Woo. Woo. all right really high energy as well okay so just fucking go down just, no yeah no be you that's who you are go if I laugh yeah. I laugh okay. <laughs> okay I'm just gonna keep going yeah all right <clears throat> what is up you delicious humans welcome back to the podcast two birds one pod this is episode number two, and we are fucking excited, are we not? So excited, Kate Pirtle, so excited. Yes. So this episode is the life of Kareen. Who the hey. fuck is she? Yes, me. What happened to make her who she is today? Yes. I'm super excited. If you listened to the first episode, that was all about me as a human and my life, and now we are talking all about the beautiful Kareen Killingback, oh, well, who you. she is what happened, why she is the way that she is. But before we get into the episode, Kareen Killingbeck, yes. tell me, what has been happening in the last oh, week? Oh, gosh. Yeah, so a lot's been happening for me at the moment. I had, I, first I had a really nice weekend with the boys. And for me, it was a good balance between family time, boys? my kids, my two know. little beautiful boys. Uh, Jackson is four, Tyler is two, um, they're a handful, loads of energy, oh, just beautiful little people. Like, feel so blessed to have these two people in my life to be able to call them my sons. It's, yeah, I'm oh, getting a little bit emotional. They're just amazing little people and it's definitely a blessing to be able to guide them through life. Um, but, yeah, good balance between spending some quality time with the family, which I haven't been doing much of because business is something that I'm investing a lot of my time in at the moment. Um, and and fulfilling work because that's something that makes me feel really happy and fulfilled as well. <clears throat> Probably something I need to work on stepping away from a little bit because I think I'm very similar to you in the fact that I am very career driven and work orientated and that really does fulfill me and make me happy. Uh, but then there's also that line of constantly feeling like I need to work and need to achieve. So I'm trying to learn to balance that but at the same time, my business is going through massive leaps and bounds in uh, like the scaling process. It's something that I've wanted to do with my business and in my career for a long time. Um, and I'm in the place where I'm starting to do that, which just means putting in a lot more effort, time, energy into that aspect. Um, working through a lot of emotional kind of barriers and obstacles in relation to that as well, which is... It takes its toll on an emotional level, drains you, and then kind of affects what I can give to my family and my clients. So, yeah, just kind of trying to work through a lot of that sort of stuff at the moment. But, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's fun. It's exciting. It's nerving. There's lots going on for me emotional, emotionally-wise at the moment. So, yeah, and just practicing working through through that each day. Wow, that sounds like there's a lot going on and a lot going on. I'm aware of all of the things that are going on, but it's really nice to be able to hear it 
um, in this kind of platform because, of course, business is something that's really important to both of us. Mm. And um, in order to become successful, whatever that looks like for you, it mm. does require so much time and effort. And, of course, speaking to, which we'll get into, but speaking to, like, the balance between motherhood, mm. entrepreneurship, mm. Um, relationship, like, you have a mm. lot more going on in that capacity than I do, yet, till I have little humans running around. Um, so, yeah, it would be, it'll be interesting to see um, you speak to the balance of all of that and yeah. what different identity shifts you've been through. Yeah, lots, lots, right. lots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to dive right on in into the deep end, we'll just jump in. Please go forth. The floor is yours. Tell us about yourself. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. It's one of these things that's like sitting back thinking, like where do you start when you kind of are describing yourself and kind of the events that have led to who you become like what's important and there are a few things that come to my mind but I think as I kind of talk maybe some more things are gonna become apparent um and this is what I'm loving about this platform is it's such a space for self-discovery for ourselves as well because I am here talking openly um yeah and you kind of just piece things together sometimes when you're in this space I'm really excited to see kind of what comes up but I guess for Kareen it starts off when I was a kid as it does I was born into the world <laughs> um I guess you would Did the stork drop you off <laughs> the stork drop you off at the front yeah. of my parents house um <laughs> I guess childhood was really it was really difficult like I'll just lay it out uh, it was pretty traumatic my father was an alcoholic um who was abusive in in some senses probably more from like an emotional emotional abuse factor um I guess it's hard for me I was actually having a conversation with uh, my girlfriend this morning about how we I sit there and go well my childhood wasn't as bad as xyz because this didn't happen to me but it was still a trauma for me growing up and it's definitely shaped my belief system how my brain has been wired so I still have to this day a very survival way of thinking which is so hard to try and unlearn when it's all that you knew growing up as a kid it's hardwired into me um and you know my mother was also obviously dealing with this person that my father was as well and going through her own shit um copying a lot of the abuse from him as well and because of that she wasn't able to provide the well what I needed emotionally um so there was a lot of emotional neglect growing up it's not something that I feel was purposeful now in hindsight I could see it um but it was it's that need for emotional support and being emotionally vulnerable now as an adult is something that's really difficult for me as well uh, I never really liked school. I didn't really, I felt like I didn't really fit in. I always kind of felt like I was the black sheep. I feel a lot of that is because I lacked so much confidence because of the environment that I grew up in. Um, I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel heard. Um, and this is stuff that still hurts. I'm feeling myself get quite overwhelmed with emotion right now. Um and I feel because I still carry a lot of that now, I still carry a lot of my trauma into my adulthood. Um, and 
my, my parents ended up getting divorced. Uh, they separated. Uh, so there was a whole lot of like abandonment issues there as well. And even though my father was an alcoholic and he was quite abusive, he was the one person in my life that I felt gave me love. When I think of the love I received in my childhood, it was mostly from my father. I can't remember mum loving me. Um, I've had conversations with my mother about this and, uh, you know, I guess it's just what she gave us what I needed, uh, two different things. And because um, she did provide the service, she did, you know, she was working, she was looking after two kids, she was going through her own shit. Uh, there was always food there. Uh, we grew up like food, it was always really healthy. She would always pack our lunch. Um, she would always be taking us to sports and that sort of thing. So she did love me, but just not in the way that I needed to feel loved as a child. Um, she just couldn't provide that, uh, maybe a lack of knowledge as well. I think that generation was very um, can't tell people, can't show emotion, have to deal with it myself, don't have the coping mechanisms, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm glad that that's really kind of shifting Um and I feel it's been such a small shift too. Like everything about my mum's generation and then our generation and then what we're teaching our kids, like it's not that much of a, a gap yet mm. we're really um, like even what they're teaching at school. So my kids go to preschool, even what they teach there, they're really teaching a lot of emotional awareness, which is shit that I never learned going up. Like, and this is in preschool before even mm. school. So I think, there's been a big shift in kind of that emotional awareness. It makes me really happy that it's been, uh, it's a part of education and also that I'm allowed to, I'm able to teach my kids this as well. Uh, yeah. So school, school wasn't very, I didn't really enjoy school. Didn't feel like I fit in. I really kind of struggled to make friends. Um, and I think it was probably the age of 13. So I am going to talk about um, like suicide and suicide thoughts and self-harm. So if that's something that um, triggers you, maybe it's best to kind of skip through a little bit uh, or join us for our next podcast. Um, probably the age of 13. So I think that's kind of when my dad had left and emotions kind of just caught up I had no coping mechanisms I didn't know how to deal with what I was feeling so I did turn to self-harm it was a way to release the emotion I can remember vividly how I felt and in the moment of harming myself it just felt like everything that was inside me just washed away like I guess I could see the blood trickling down into the shower and it was just this massive wash away of pain and so that kind of happened on and off for a while um I can remember like in year 11 and 12 uh, I was still self-harming but it was probably only in year 12 that I really kind of found a really good group of friends and the self-harm had kind of stopped by then I think I'd kind of grown up a little bit um and it was becoming a little bit more of my own person um a home life with mum was still difficult again I just you know I have younger sister as well she's six years younger so there's a bit of an age gap um and I guess Laura was going through her own things growing up as a child as well um she was quite disobedient but I think that was just her uh acting out for attention 
which, and I was just the opposite. I kind of became really reclusive, learned not to be able to trust, whereas my sister would yeah, often act out to get mum's attention. Um, so there was like a lot of tension at home as well uh, that I wasn't comfortable with. Um, so yeah, like around year 12, maybe I was out a lot, had a boyfriend at the time, was often staying over at their place. We had a really good group of friends. And I think that was probably one of a really happy moment in my life um I was only 17 so I was using a fake ID to go out in clubs and stuff as we could get away with it then right dude my my girlfriend was Filipino um hopefully yeah right uh, we we both had dark features uh if you don't know what I look like maybe head over to our Instagram page two birds one pod or my personal one Korean killer um yeah and they would literally just like look at it go yep yep like and that was it. You were in the clubs and smashed, right? Um, so that was a really good time of my life. And like finished school. So like that end, like the summer holidays there, it was uh, my boyfriend at the time had lived by the beach. Like our group of friends were like um, surfers, bodyboarders. So we spent a lot of time at the beach, just kind of cruising, having fun, going out drinking. Um, not long after that, so I was still 17. I just didn't like home didn't like home life so even though I was kind of out enjoying these moments with my friends which you know big uh pivotal part in my life in actually being happy and feeling a sense of freedom I'd come back home and feel really restricted and uh, my mum couldn't control me because not that I was doing anything you know super crazy wild but she I guess just felt the need to control because her life had been so out of control um, and she couldn't understand uh, because dad was an alcoholic and I was, you know, this young girl going out having fun with her friends and drinking. She couldn't understand why I was drinking. And, um, yeah, there was just a big disconnect and rift in our relationship. And uh, that was a big part of me moving out, I think. So I was 17. I was working two jobs, Maccas, during the day, piece of hard at night doing deliveries. Um Moved out with a couple of blokes who I worked at Pizza Hut with. And, yeah, so spent a little bit of time there just kind of working. I'd gotten a boyfriend at the time, like another boyfriend at the time then. Um, so it's kind of common theme for me growing up through life, uh, especially kind of not having a father and feeling abandoned by a father was I had boyfriends from a very young age and would constantly be with these boyfriends. Um, and I guess being relying on these boyfriends for that kind of male maternal paternal kind of feeling and safety and security. But I was like looking back so clingy because I was just, you know, had those, those abandonment issues. And I found that you know, the story that I was telling myself was all these guys leave me. It was a fact. Obviously, I was a little crazy, <laughs> a little crazy, crazy. Um, so my relationships often ended with them ending it. And so that continuous story of being abandoned and not being good enough mm-hmm. um, had kind of continued to form. Um, had a boyfriend at the time that I'd moved out. Um, so I was kind of staying at his place a little bit as well. And it just just probably wasn't the healthiest relationship. Um, yeah, just jumped around relationships quite a lot. Uh, and I think our rela- the relationship with him had ended and I was like, cool, so what do I do with my life now? So I moved up 
to Sydney. I think I was still 17 at the time. So what happened in that yeah, year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was 17 when I'd moved out of home. Um, moved up to Sydney, stayed on a friend's couch. Uh, ended up getting a job as a dental assistant. Um, so I kind of learned a little bit about that. Started establishing some friendships up there as well. I had a girlfriend who moved up as from my hometown who moved up to Sydney as well. So um, we would go out partying a lot. I think it's the first, yeah, like I, I thrived off being more responsible for myself and I guess not being in my home environment. I had the freedom to uh, express myself and start really learning about who I was and who I wanted to be. Um, yeah, so I just kind of, Worked a couple of different jobs, dental assistant. I remember working at um, a place that distributes crystal, like crystal vases and stuff as a receptionist. From there, I moved to real estate doing reception and sales assistant. Um, I ended up getting a job at Hooters. Hooters opened at Cronulla and that was a fun time. That was a super fun time. I'm still only like maybe 19, 18, 19 at this stage. Um, I just, it was just fun. Like I, I could, I'd work at night. You'd make pretty good tips. I lived at Cronulla. I could walk down to the beach. I started creating some really good friendships. Um, I met another boyfriend at the time. Um, we would just go out and party and have fun. And yeah, it was kind of, it was a good crew. And that was another, I think a good, fun part of my life I really started making friendships that I I hadn't had before who has ended up closing down it I I just don't think it was making money I think my boyfriend at the time and I had broken up um I think that's a massive a, a massive part of my life as well the relationship with him was although it was kind of fun, the environment was fun, the group of people that we hung out was lots of fun, the, our relationship itself was really toxic. Um, a lot of that was to do with me and where I was emotionally. Um, I think the type of person he was at the time as well, um, I was just, I was harboring so many emotions. Um, there was a complete rage. There were moments where I would just have, just go into rage fits where it just felt like I wasn't in my body anymore. I was looking down on me acting in this way. And it was just pure emotion that I had no idea what to do with. And I'd be throwing shit around the house, like yelling and screaming just from this emotion that I had no idea what to do with. At that point I had started self-harming again and there was a lot of threatening for self-harming um, to the point that the boyfriend at the time called the paramedics and I was taken to hospital. I hadn't self-harmed, but I think it was more just the emotional state I was in. A mental health team had then come and visit me and that was kind of my first taste of the support and the help that I needed. I actually felt like someone was listening and someone cared about me. Yeah, I saw my first psychologist at the age of... 20 20 mm-hmm. it it's yeah I was just um at a point in my life where you know this what had happened the circumstances that happened how I was feeling the actions and the behaviors that I was uh, displaying 
um, the relationship breakdown, it kind of just got me thinking, where do I want to be in the future? Like, is this what I want? Do I want to continue these behaviors? Um, I went and saw my first psychologist and, you know, question he asked me, he's like, wow, like you're so young. Why Mm. are you here? And I was Mm. like, I don't want to be 30 with kids and still be fucked up. Like, I didn't want to do that to myself. I didn't want to do it. Like, would I even get into another relationship if, if I was behaving this way? And how toxic would it be? And I guess what, what would I have been willing to accept in a relationship mm-hmm. if I didn't work on my, my issues and my self-worth? Um, and he was great. At 20, like yeah. the self-awareness, the um, ability for you to realise that you needed help and, and get a psychologist and it's fucking huge. Like I was like, you know, not many 20 year olds are like, I need to change my life. I'm going to get a psychologist. And I Mm. think it's changed now like a decade later, but question mark was getting a psychologist a decade ago seen by others as well. You must be so fucked up to go and have to get a psychologist. Um, It's not something that I talked about. Um, I think obviously everyone knew that I was a bit twisted in their head based on my actions and you know maybe what conversations other people had had about me um but it's not something that was really talked about to be honest I I was probably really reclusive about it then I definitely didn't talk about it how I I do now I was probably ashamed of it as well Mm. um like looking back at those behaviors it's definitely not something that I'm proud of it that's not the person who I want to be um yeah just in that moment I just had no fucking idea and Mm. and it was only because I got taken to hospital and that mental health team came and talked to me that otherwise I wouldn't have known what to do. I didn't even know that was an option. Like I did not know that seeing a psychologist was even a thing. It was only those circumstances that led to that point that then led me to see a psychologist in the first place. Um, He was great. He, He taught me a lot. It was more just about managing how I was feeling, not necessarily understanding why he or working on like more CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy and changing those thought patterns. Um, But he did kind of help me reflect on the way that I was thinking. Um, And I just remember this one example and it was just about making the bed and how my partner at the time or the boyfriend at the time was making it wrong. And he was like, and I was getting upset and angry at him about that. And he was like, is he making it wrong or is he just not doing it the way that you want it done? Mm. And you just kind of go, fuck. But at that, that was just such a light bulb moment for me. Like that, that statement just kind of really changed how I thought about everything. Like is the world wrong or is it just my perception of things? Um, Is Mm. the world out to get me or is it just how I'm thinking and feeling? So that was, yeah, really pivotal a moment um from there I ended up finding a job at a gym a gym I was working um and this is kind of where the the fitness thing had started for me I think I was I, I yeah I wasn't really conscious of my health in my early 20s um you know I'd moved out of home when I was 17 so like I didn't have much money I'd lost my job and that sort of thing so there were moments that I was just eating 
99 cent pasta and sauce for dinner and oats for breakfast yeah (laughs) two minute noodles so cheap shit uh and drinking um I was doing a lot of running then it was just the the thing that I do I'd kind of been athletic growing up and running was my thing um so that just is what came more natural to me so I I got a gym as a a job as a receptionist at a gym um, the gym was upstairs and then downstairs was, uh, was he a physio? And the physio had a contract with uh, a certain football team, uh, professional football team, and they would massage and do the physio for the reserve grade or the B grade. And so the story that I like to tell is I'm young, right? I'm 20. And there are all these 20 year old footy players walking around in the physio without shirts, like muscly bodies, fit. And, you know, you're frothing because they're footy players. Yeah, frothing. Yeah, frothing. Like, eye <laughs> candy, right? Um, and I guess I started forming some friendships with amongst the, the group of boys there as well. Um, I made friends with the other receptionists. And, yeah, we kind of had, um, like, we'd go out and that sort of thing. But, yeah, so lots of good-looking boys walking past. But, like, that was it. That was just good to look at. And... And then all of a sudden, this this boy that I'd never seen before walked through the door, and I was like, "Hold on, who's this?" And <laughs> it was my husband, my now husband. He, I like to describe it at lovers' first sight. Um, he will kind of be like, "Oh, you know, no, it wasn't, but it was for him <laughs> too, dude." He's kind of like, if you ask him, he was like, "Oh, I heard there was this really hot chick with big tits <laughs> as a receptionist." I had to come and have a look um and yeah it kind of just went from there we then one of my friends one of oh so he was friends with one of my friends and that friend had messaged me and was like do you want to go on a double date like I'll bring someone if you bring someone I was like okay well who are you gonna bring he's like oh Eddie and I was like fuck yep I'm there and <laughs> we ended up going to the movies I'm in, I'm in. Uh, we went to the movies and, you know, like, I'm, I don't know, it's just 20, we were 20. It was right before my 21st birthday. And, you know, you're sitting next to each other. He wasn't going to sit next to me. And I was like, excuse me, like, dude, like, we're here on a double date. You're going to sit next to me. And he was like, okay. <laughs> he came and sat next to me, put his hand on my leg and, you know, the butterflies and, uh, and then, we left and he didn't ask my number. And I'm like bitching to my friends, like, what the fuck? Like this dick, like, you know, sitting next to me, rubbing my leg, didn't even ask for my number. Um, you know, and I was, I'd worked the early shift at reception from like 5.30 or something. So I was always on the phone to my mum because she would wake up early. And and I was like, oh, you know, hold it, mum, get a call coming through, I'll pop you on hold, you know, hello, this is the gym, how can I help you? Oh, I'd like to book in for a massage. I was like, okay, like the massage therapist is only here on these days. He's like, no, I want one from you. I was like, <laughs> I was like who the fuck is this, you creep? He's like, oh, it's Eddie. Um, <laughs> naughty, naughty, grabbed my number from the system um, and I was like, okay, oh, bye. Fuck. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, mom, it was him. <laughs> like, literally bitching about him a second ago, saying, like, this dickhead, <laughs> you know, just texted him. And then 
And then this is when we were like corny. It was all new. Uh, then I got, you know, it's like, hey, it's green. And I think I left it at that. And then, you know, he was like, oh, like, can I swing by? Like, I forgot to give you something at the movies. And I was like, okay. And he like, I remember he knocked on the door. I think I was like, oh, it's open. And he just walked in, waltzed up to me, put his hands on my like, back of my neck on my face. was like, I forgot to give you this. And just gave me a big sloppy kiss. <laughs> and that was it. That was, that's how my relationship started with my husband. I think great he, story. I we were think to- yeah, we were together for, three or four months um he made the decision that he wanted to go to Melbourne uh to play footy down there he got offered a contract down in Melbourne and I was like I'm coming with you I'd I'd lost I'd lost another job um I was apparently covering for maternity leave at this gym reception role that I wasn't made aware of and I was let go because the chick was coming back off maternity leave so I was like I literally like I have nothing tying me here. I was like, I'm coming. And uh, he probably thought I was a bit weird, but he was like, okay, at least we had this conversation. Actually, I was like, what were you thinking? Like when I, like we'd been together for four months and he was like, I just you thought it'd be great company. Like I was like, okay, fair enough. Um, and I think it was just like expectation versus reality. <clears throat> We went down there and I guess I was like, great, like I'm starting my life with this guy. It's going to be great. It's going to be about us. I'm going to a new city. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to have lots of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. You talked a lot about your experiences in Melbourne and mine I were, both love Melbourne. Yeah, <laughs> mine were very similar. Um, look, I think if I was to go there and visit, that could be a great thing. There's like a lot of culture. Um, I did really love like the food and the passion for food that the war especially in the area that we were in lots of like beautiful little restaurants and cafes and and that's I think a part that I really enjoyed um made some friends got a job at a gym as reception in Melbourne made a couple of friends like started building some friendships but I think same as you nothing really groundbreaking like yeah like it was great I'd go over for dinner and that sort of thing but I just didn't really felt like I fit in it wasn't my place. Um, you know, Eddie was really focused on what he wanted to do with his footy career, which is understandable. So there wasn't much, and he was working as well at the time. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so there wasn't much time for us to develop our relationship. So I just said to him that I'm not happy. I'm going to move back to Sydney. Um, sound familiar? <laughs> yes, go listen to Kate Bettle's episode, similar situation. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it, it kind of like, we weren't, we weren't broken up, but we weren't together, if that makes sense. Like we, we hadn't really said we don't want to be together, but we hadn't really said that we were going to do a long distance thing. I kind of said, this is what I'm doing. You know, you just let me know what you want to do. And at that point, um, he was kind of doing a lot of reflecting as well of like what he wanted for life out of life and did he really want to go down this career path and what did it actually mean for him um so he made the decision to move back to his hometown up in Ballina and I was in Sydney and we did long distance for a year which I think was a really good time because I would be I was like 21 he was 22 um 
and we loved each other. We wanted to be together, but I think it was just great to have that separation at the beginning of our relationship and at such a young age um, because we got to experience our own life a little bit. So I would fly up um, to Berlin from Sydney. He would fly down occasionally. Um, I started to get to make his friend. Um, yeah, and was, we'd talk a lot over the phone. Um, and then, so I ended up actually getting the same unit in Cronulla that I lived in previous, which was awesome. He was kind of applying for paramedic, finishing off his trade, applied for paramedics. He ended up moving back to Sydney. Um, he studied his paramedics. I was in strata, strata management at this point. It's just something that I'd fallen into. Um, and I guess that was kind of my first career as such, like an actual job job where I made kind of progressions um, and kind of started off as receptionist, ended up being a strata manager. Uh, I was really good at my job because I am great at managing and delegating, but I just hated it because you could never make anyone happy. And it was always just fucking drama and issues and problems. And no matter what you did, you just were never helping. Um, I was studying fitness at the same time. And Eddie was doing his paramedic stuff. Uh, we bought out. We bought our first house because um, we were both on. We wait. We waited six months for him to be in his job because that was what you had to do at the time to get a loan. I mean, I was making pretty decent money as a strata manager. So we bought our first home, beautiful little home in Carringbar, which I um, it was one. It's one of my favorites. I really miss that home. I had like a lot of good times, which is really cozy. I think for me, that was a big part of uh, like when I think about my life now as a mother and having kids and I think about before kids, that's what I fondly remember, like those freedoms and just a beautiful, cozy little home. We had our dogs. We didn't really have any commitments other than what we wanted to do. Um, life was really easy looking back now. Um, really enjoyable at that time like Eddie and my relationship was continuing to build uh whilst we both had our own interests and own directions that we wanted to kind of accomplish and head in in life um but we always had something that brought us together and just I guess our friendship and uh I guess there was from hearing about your childhood there was maybe the first time that you bought a home together, you were creating a home that maybe you always wanted. Mm. There was stability. I'm Maybe that's wrong, but I'm just making an assumption that there was stability and it was, yeah, you committing to making a home and a happy home that you didn't have. Yeah, and maybe that was on a more of a subconscious level or maybe when you say that I relate it to more to having children in my home, um, which is when things became a lot more conscious in relation to what you're saying so maybe that mm. was done on a, con- a subconscious level um mm. and yeah like if I think about that time I did feel safe and secure and and I was happy um I made the decision that I wanted to pursue my fitness career so I quit my really well-paying job and became a personal trainer and made 50 dollars in my first week um which (laughs) which uh I guess like it's hard but it's led me to where I am now and more it was hard more from the fact that I had to sit down and have the conversation with uh I think it was my fiance at that time and say hey 
this is what I want to do, I actually have to ask you for help and help Mm. financially. And that was a really hard thing to do. And that is something that I've held onto for a very long time in our relationship. Um, A part of that is because of what his attitude was towards finances as well as mine and the whole having to rely on someone and ask for help. Um, Yeah, that's something that I've, my financial health and my relationship with my finances is something that I've worked really hard on and that's only happened in the last year. Um, It's very freeing, by the way. So it's something that you haven't done. I highly recommend it. Um, I just don't stress about money. I'm not tied up in thoughts about money anymore. It's not the end of the world. And the end of the day, if you're making the right decisions, things will always work out. Um, Mm. And I just have that faith now. Um, But, yeah, there's a whole story behind that. Um, Yeah, so it became a personal – yeah, we can. Financial freedom maybe and our experiences with it. Um, Became a fitness trainer. I was a personal trainer at a gym. I fucking knew nothing. Um, (laughs) There was kind of like a little – I'm just – yeah, it's hard to kind of put things in chronological order, hey, and then you kind of remember other things that were pivotal. Um, So – there was a point where I'd been running. I was running a lot and I just woke up one day with sciatica and um, okay. couldn't move. Um, wow. A pinched nerve in your back. Yeah. And your whole leg just searing, hot, burning pain. Every time you move, it was just like through my whole like lower body. Um, I was literally laying there and I woke up in the middle of the night. I was like, oh, I should probably go to bed and just, went to get up it was just like nah like paralyzed with pain I was living this was when Eddie must have we mustn't have been living together um so I was like home alone no one else had a key I'm like what that like do I call the paramedic like I had no idea what to do um ended up just like dragging myself up got a heat pack went to bed it was bearable the next day um went to a physio and that's kind of what led me a bit into the strength training side of as well. So I'd been, you know, receptionist at a couple of gyms, um, started getting a PT myself and started getting into strength training, um, studied fitness. And it, that's where it all kind of started. Really still had no idea. And when I kind of uh, see a lot of the memories pop up on like my Facebook, it's just like, fuck, I can't believe that was me and that was what I knew and it is all part of the learning process but it was fucked up and I guess I just I didn't really realize at the time and what I mean is I I ended up developing a really disordered way of eating um I ended up chasing that skinny I was overtraining. I was like Uh, got to a point where I'd start running again so I was doing weights five days a week six days a week running on top of that under eating um, because I wanted to be skinny and then one of my girlfriends at the time did a bikini competition I was like oh I'm gonna do that like I'll do that fucking googled comp prep diet oh oh oh, don't do it I ended up eating Oh, it was like oats on water for breakfast. It was a protein shake on water, morning tea. It was like a salad or veggies and some sort of 
protein, no carbs or anything for lunch. Another protein shake, maybe with like some rice cakes and peanut butter for afternoon snack. And then the same just for dinner, like protein with a salad or veggies. Um, yeah, I think I ended up actually like putting it into my fitness pal. It's like a thousand calories or under. Fuck. It was a bit, I don't know, kind of maybe same perspective as when you were doing your comp you just fucking go all in right you don't and you just don't realize what you're doing and you have this goal and you're just like well I'll do whatever it takes to get there Mm. same mentality I legit thought I was gonna win I legit Mm. thought I was going to win I was like but at the same time to be an athlete you have to have that mentality so when I was hearing you talk about those things I'm like but that's the mentality you have to have if you want to win. Like you have to be vain and you have to think that you're the fucking bee's knees. How do you think winners get to the place that they do? They don't sit there and think I'm going to come second. Like Mm. they legit think that they're going to win and they do everything in their power to. And you're just so pigeonholed and driven. Um, And I was just skinny. Like I see photos of myself now at that time and I'm just like, oh my god like I look sick I look Mm. my face is gone I'm just skinny I'm just like that's not healthy and it got to the point like in the prep like I just ran you through what I was eating where I was like oh I feel like having a salmon wrap and I'd eat a salmon wrap like salmon lettuce like really healthy nutritious meal but I'd feel fucking guilty because the salmon had extra fat in it that I shouldn't be eating because I wasn't going to get to my comp lean kind of goal. Like, so I started developing this really disordered and distort, distorted view on how I should be eating. Um, and then I competed. And I think for me, competing was actually really helpful part of my journey in because I learned, I was like, okay, so I didn't end up winning. Um, but my men, I was just kind of really young and naive, I guess, but my mentality was, okay, well, it's my first comp. If I want to win, what do I have to do? Um, mm. so I was like, well, I have to be more muscular. So what do I have to do in order to be more muscular? Well, I've got to fucking eat food. I've got to change the way that I'm training. Um, like running isn't necessarily going to be helpful in achieving this goal that I want to achieve with my physique. So competing probably actually really helped me improve my relationship with myself which I know can be the opposite for quite a lot of other people um so I started eating more food not to say that there weren't struggles there were a lot of struggles coming from this really restrictive mentality to wanting to be skinny and having that got to have my six-pack mentality to then fueling my body seeing myself gain weight um not being this skinny person um there was a massive growth process in relation to that and feeling bad for eating food and looking at myself in the mirror and picking at myself like I was still skinny yet I'd pick at my body and be like oh I'm getting fat um and it took I I kind of I guess they'd probably call it more the all-in approach now like I just did it anyway I gained the weight it was healthy weight Mm -hmm. like you'll see photos of me and you're like you look like a really healthy fit person in my head I was so fucking fat and disgusting and 
but I kind of, I did it because I knew that I had to build muscle. Um, and, you know, if I wanted to be successful in the sport that I was doing. So, yeah, I, I do feel like it was a really big part in helping me grow as an individual, but there was also a lot of shit that I had to deal with to get to this point. Um, ended up competing in the IMBA and I was actually quite successful with um, that federation. Um, made it to the PMB qualifiers, which is like a if you were to win, you'd get your uh, pro card with the IMBA. Um, I unfortunately didn't win and I was kind of like going to give up on competing. I'd kind of done back-to-back comps, but then the WBFF came um, to Australia. I think it was like the second competition in Australia. And I was like, look, I'll just do one more. I'll just see how a girl do one more. Um, fucking loved it. It was, it's a completely different federation. It is more about the glitz and the glam. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just had this feeling. I was like, I'm, I, just felt really good I felt really calm I didn't feel stress or pressure and I think maybe that's just because I was like whatever I'll just wing it like whatever happens um I ended up winning that competition and getting my pro card which was pretty cool um traveled to LA to compete in the world yeah opportunity um to travel with I think it was my husband by then so I've gotten married um beautiful little wedding at Kangaroo Valley uh so we traveled to no, it was in Vegas. You so we went to Vegas, then we stayed at some friends down in San Diego, that's south, right? Yeah, and then traveled up California, had a really nice time. Yeah, so we've come back, kind of finished competing, and we were thinking about starting a family so we're still living in Karangbar at this stage and I guess we're at the time in our relationship where we're like okay like what do we want to do next in our relationship and I guess we're starting to think about having kids do we want to have live in Sydney um so we made the choice to move up to where we are now um sold our first home made really good money I'm just in a couple of years like we bought our first home at the right time um Mm. then we grew uh, like we made a, a decent profit, bought a home up here in Cabarita Beach. Um, and then what happened from there, I kind of started working in a gym. I opened up my own gym. I was working in a gym and I was like, I need more. I want to do more. I want to help people in the different capacity. I think a lot of um, the environment was just a lot of women flogging themselves and a lot of women doing cardio. And I was like, that's not what I I want. Like I'm about, I'd started learning a lot more about strength training and um, starting to get a little bit more balance in, in my life versus fitness. And I say it cautiously because it's very different now to what it was then I think I was still kind of holding on to a lot of that fitness identity but that was my life then I think having kids has really changed a lot of things for me um so still really heavily into fitness decided to open my own gym um borrowed $46,000 from the bank like had these big ideas yeah big investment right I was just like didn't even think about it I was like yeah I want to do this this is what I want I had no fucking idea 
what I was actually doing. I set up this really amazing space and a lot of my OG followers will probably uh, remember the space. Um, and I don't I think uh, this is when kind of social media just started becoming a bit bigger um, and I started getting a lot of traction on social media and, and I guess because I competed and I used my body a lot on my social media, um, I got a lot of followers and a lot of women who were interested in online coaching. So I was like, oh, well, the demand's there. Why not offer people this um, as well as, so I had a couple of face-to-face clients. Um, so my online business really started taking off. Um, came up to the end of the lease at the place I was in and they'd sold the property uh, where the gym was. So I had to relocate. I was looking for places to relocate the gym. And I was like, I don't, it, it wasn't what I had envisioned it to be. I just, I'd put, started putting more effort in my online business because that's what was working. Um, found out I was pregnant with my first Jackson then as well. So I was kind of like, oh, it's just all kind of leading towards this one direction where I've just got to let this place go and that that idea go and you know having a kid like um, I'm going to want to have time off or I'm going to want to slow down and the online space was just really working for me so I really started so I let that go it was hard Uh, I still owed a lot of money to the bank and I felt like the biggest failure like I'd had this big dream that I just couldn't fulfill and I had to let that go and that was really hard and to have to, for the next five years have to pay back that money. It was like a fucking stab in the guts. Every fucking week, $880 every fortnightly. Weekly. No, fortnightly. No, monthly. No, I don't know. Whatever. I just remember $880 would come out of my account and I'd be like, I fucking hate. I think it was fortnightly. I was like, I fucking hate you. bucks a month. Yeah, because I paid it oh, off me. in in such a short time frame they wouldn't give me a 10-year loan which is like great because things happen for a reason right um hated it hated it I just felt it was just a constant reminder of the failure that I was and the failure that had happened Mm. um yeah so I had my baby I was training clients out of just my garage at home. You know, had bills to pay, yo. Had that 440 fucking bucks a week to, to fork out. Oh, um, and, yeah, so I had my first little baby, Jackson. That was, yeah, that's like a whole journey, hey. Just um, becoming pregnant was a big trigger. It was a trigger because it started what is, what am I going to be like as a mom? What was my mum like? What was my childhood like? So it triggered a massive depressive episode um, for me. I went and sought help from a psychologist. Um, I found it, I guess, the relationship with my mum was still really rocky and I could ignore it. Like I could get away with the odd phone call. Hey, how are you going? Yeah, like you're still my mum that's it happy mother's day um but then when I was pregnant I felt like she wanted to be a part of my life and I couldn't get away from that um Mm. and there was just a lot of yeah emotions drawn up between our relationship of um why was I not good enough 
when we're growing up as a kid, like, why do you want to be a part of my life now? It's just because I'm pregnant. It's just because I'm having a kid. Um, it's about the kid. It's not about me. Um, so there was like a lot of healing that had to happen and a lot of conversations with my mom that were really uncomfortable. Um, she, at that stage in her life, would she used her emotions a lot to try and manipulate certain situations I don't think it was um, vindictive it was just a survival thing for her it's what she had known how to do so she would often try and use her emotions to manipulate the scenario why are you being mean to me why are you saying mean things to me when all I'd be doing is expressing how I was feeling it wasn't I'd learned then how to be assertive um and how to communicate more effectively. And I feel a certain way. I felt like you weren't there for me when I needed you. You're being mean. Um, And it just, yeah. There was a lot of work that had to be done on our relationship. And I really kind of had to stand my ground and create those boundaries and barriers, which is really fucking hard with anyone, especially family. and big nod especially because yeah I don't know do you society do you just throw that in there because and you often hear but it's your mom you should love her it's your dad you should have them in your life who the fuck says mm, why because my, yeah like my dad treated yeah like I was treated yeah. like shit I should have that person in my life because you think I should fuck off um yeah, <laughs> yeah we I, just to interject for two sec sorry we think very similarly in this mm. aspect that just because someone's your blood your family your mom your dad your grandma whatever society says or entitlement says whatever that they should air quotes be a part of your life and both crane and i think very similarly in that it doesn't like we would if a friend was an asshole to us we would say cool boundary mm. placed no yeah. longer why is that same mentality not applied to family relationships mm. uh, yeah i don't know do you have the answer to that i don't know and then when you um, do it's frowned upon yeah it was a bit of a rhetorical question but yeah i guess the answer <laughs> is i'm like do you have the answer tell me <laughs> i'm willing to learn uh, yeah, well, I think it's society's expectations. I think, um, you know, I have a pretty non-existent relationship with my grandma, as an example, because she said some horrible shit to me. And mm. I'm one of the only ones in the family who has held that, put the boundary up and held the boundary because I'm like, I'm a fucking adult. I get to choose mm. who and what I allow into my life. And I think, yeah, people feel that because they're your family, that, you know, family does anything, you do anything, mm. then you have to maintain that relationship. But I personally, and you obviously disagree. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. So I, I definitely had to put up boundaries in the relationship with my mother, especially because I was going through this big transition in life and becoming a mom. And um, yeah, it was to the point where like, because she hadn't wanted to, so she was living down the coast, like what, like a 10 hour drive away. Um so she had, I don't like maybe occasionally she'd come and visit, but she was like, I want to come and visit. And I was like, cool. So because I'm pregnant now you want to come visit. So there was just like a lot of shit that I had to work through. Um, 
yeah so thankfully it took like I had to work on our relationship but I think I did want I did want a relationship with my mother and I'm thankful that a lot of events had kind of happened um that had allowed space for conversation because usually I'd try and talk to her about something and she'd completely shut down just Mm. again a coping mechanism and I'm like but I need to talk to you about this in order to heal and move forward because I need to know why you behaved certain ways and it's not to put you down and it's not like she just harbored a lot of guilt and a lot Mm. of shame I think around it and I'm like I'm not here to guilt you or shame you I just want to let you know that this is how I felt and I want to understand why you didn't notice um and and yeah so that was a a lot of hardship for her to have to face too like stuff that she'd obviously you know in that suitcase right down the bottom don't ever want to deal with that again because it was a really traumatic period of my life um yeah so thankfully we were able to work through a lot of stuff um it's something that I'm really grateful for and we have like a, a really good relationship now um there's you know still boundaries that I I have set but I'm learning to kind of trust her a little bit more over time and, and those boundaries are, you know, slowly uh, opening up, which it's really, it's nice. It's nice to have that confidence within myself and um, to have worked on a relationship to a point where I can talk to her about how I feel and I am getting something receptive from her as well. Um, that That's hard, like from going from being shut down or feeling like I'm not even seen or heard to trying to be vulnerable and going, well, I'm going to be rejected. Is she going to hear me? Um, yeah. So I think she's, she's come a long way in her personal development as well, which is, um, yeah, it's been really nice. It's nice to have a nice relationship with her. Um, don't really have a relationship with my father. He's just not a nice, but uh, that's not the right thing to say. He's just in his own world of his own trauma um Mm. it's not often that he's not drinking he's I I wouldn't even know I want to say like he's a half decent human when he's not drinking like I can have an okay conversation with him um but from what I I don't talk too much so I could be completely wrong here but yeah he's just often he's an alcoholic and Mm. I don't think he really wants to make the effort um so I just don't really have him in my life I don't really answer his calls. I'll occasionally text him. Um, I'm happy with that. Look, if he called me and said, hey, Corrine, like I want to give up drinking and I really need your support, I'd be down there in a second. Like I don't hate him. There's no negative emotion associated with him. Like uh, I'm grateful for the person that he is and where that's led me at the moment. Um, But, yeah, just don't have to have him in my life because he doesn't, bring me joy yeah. yeah not nothing doesn't serve me in in any positive way so had my first baby um worked kind of letting go of work was really hard because I got a lot of I uh, felt a lot of sense of achievement from my work I was still am working through my emotional attachment to my business um that's something that is slowly improving um guess I kind of worked on like competed again after having Jackson um and I think that kind of really my husband was working away from home at the time my depression was really bad postnatal so I think 
having that goal of competing kind of really just it helped me focus on something um mm-hmm. otherwise I honestly don't know what would have happened I was in a really fucking deep deep depression hole after Jackson um just a massive sense of isolation especially with Eddie working away he couldn't handle it emotionally either so would really disconnect um and it's kind of like you know how doesn't that sound similar similar my mum disconnected emotionally now my husband's disconnecting emotionally so all those feelings of unseen unheard not feeling worthy not being good enough um then on top of that being stuck at home feeling like you're stuck at home with a newborn who was relying on you and you know took so much energy like there were a lot of it's being a mother is beautiful and him being a mother and having to um like if if I didn't show up for him he wouldn't have survived so having him there really kind of helped me through each day no matter how hard it was and then having this goal outside of being a mum competing as well is I guess what kind of kept me sane I don't know how to describe it it just kept me going knowing I guess focusing on something in the future yeah and I think like yeah and I think a lot of the times like when people have depression you hear the saying like just one day at a time which I think is really warranted because sometimes everything is so overwhelming that you really can only focus on that small thing that's in front of you um but for me having I needed to be outside of that time like I didn't want to be stuck in the way that I was feeling so having that goal and thinking about the future is what helped drive me and helped me manage those depressive states um I was seeing my psychologist at the time as well which was very helpful and I think just it just worked through it really I think as Jackson got older it became a little bit easier um there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel in relation to Eddie's work um because we just didn't know when he was going to come back home um like it was just pretty much we had to wait till a position became available locally thankfully one did and um I'd actually driven out to Bonalbo where he worked because we wanted to conceive our second child so that was fun I was like I'm I just I got to a point where I was ready it's like all right I'm up leading let's go out to Bonalbo um we tried before but but it, it wasn't a successful try yeah so we're very blessed that I've been able to conceive quite quite easily Mm. Um, second pregnancy was a lot easier emotionally I felt I got to enjoy it a lot more because I wasn't dealing with a whole lot of the emotional trauma Um, my birth second time around as well was absolutely amazing my husband was home which so everything was just very different after the birth or during my second pregnancy Tyler's two now so what what happened after that I think I just slowly and then we met and then you opened a gym. Yeah, fuck, forgot about that. That's only recent. Yeah, so I was still holding on to like my FBC coaching, but I wanted to, um, I started getting a lot more into pre and postnatal what's, training. Uh, what's, F, what's FBC coaching my, for anyone who's not? Uh, Fitness by Kareen coaching. It was my previous company that I ran my online coaching under. Um, and Elite. made elite yes so I trained and that and that's who I was at that time as well I was that athlete um 
you know, to compete, you you have to be that athlete. You have to have that athlete mentality. You kind of, it's that, that 1%, like it's not normal. You're really pushing yourself. Um, and I did, I thrived. I thrive off that because it does align with a lot of what my values are, discipline, consistency, hard work, uh, pushing myself, even though being uncomfortable is hard. I enjoy um, that challenge. Um, yeah. So letting go of FBC coaching and, and creating the strong mums club was a big transition as well. And that kind of came about because of, of having children and wanting to help women stay fit and healthy throughout their pregnancies and, um because and feel more like yourself after pregnancy I know how how lost you can get becoming a mother and really losing that sense of self and how continuing your training and then regaining your strength post uh, baby can you're doing something for yourself and you're taking that time out amongst serving other people and it's something that's really um important for an individual and uh, through my training, I really started getting that confidence in my body back and that sense of myself again. And I opened the gym. I opened my second gym. Casually. Yeah. But, and like, because I'd made the investment initially, I'd had all the equipment in the garage. It was just about waiting for the right space to, sorry, I won't click that in everyone's ears, of waiting for the right space to. I never noticed to come up and yeah I've got my little space here it was like within my budget and this is where we are now Mm. it's been a journey what a fucking journey uh question what was the driver of because I guess for a bit of context the conversation that you and I had before opening this gym was because you felt like a failure you're not a Mm -hmm. failure but you felt like a failure in the closure of your last gym a conversation Mm. that we had was all about you know what if the same thing happens again or what if I fail again or what if what if what if and so in opening this new space what was the driver for it and what are you hoping to achieve with this new space yeah I just I, I again it's just one of those it was just a feeling like I was I just had this innate sense in me I was like I, I want another space I want my own space again there was nothing it was just a feeling um and it was so strong that it, it was just like that's the direction that I was being pulled and I had to, to do it and it's a big part of that was also because I, I do love what I do I love coaching women in strength training and a lot of what is offered around here isn't that and I was like well well, what do what do I want like as a busy mom as someone who's interested in strength training like what do I want I I want a a great community of really supportive women um, who are interested in the same thing interested in strength training and growth and their performance and wanting to be better Um, I'd love to be able to go to the gym the same time the same days know that I'm going to be there with an awesome bunch of women and I'm going to get coached. Um, And I was like, well, there's nothing like that around here. And there was a lot of hesitation. It's like, well, who's going to, you know, this is fucking Vicky. Well, who's actually going, yeah, who's actually going to want to do that? You can't do that. Like you're shit. You're not a good coach. Um, All those uh, things that we had to work through to get where we are here today and Mm. a big part of my I just want to educate and empower women like 
so many women are just caught in these ridiculous cycles of under eating, overtraining, hating themselves, not feeling how they want to feel in their bodies. And strength training for me can be a massive catalyst into achieving what you want to achieve in, in a sense of self. Um, mm. And it is, it's, you know, you come here, the way that human strength is set up is you come three days a week, um, you do your training, you progress. So you've got your, you're committing to something. Um, you've got your discipline, you've got your routine, you've got your structure, which are important values for a lot of people. And, and all the women that come through here are like, that's what I need. I need the routine. I need the structure. So they're values that are really important to them. And doing that in itself can give you such a sense of achievement. It's, it's just getting here and having that routine that makes you feel good. And then, mm -hmm. and then facing your fears when you walk into the gym and seeing yourself grow and develop and how that makes you feel as well. And that's what I love about strength training is that there's just endless opportunity to feel amazing in whatever capacity that is for you whether that just mm. becoming and being fit and healthy, whether that uh, becoming and getting that connection through the social groups, whether that be really focusing on um, the progression you're making with your lifts. There's so many avenues. And uh, I think what we're, I've created here and what strength training is, is just a small part of something bigger. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think I just want to highlight something and I guess, commend you on something and that mm. is your commitment to your self-growth your commitment mm. to managing your mental health mm. your commitment to stepping into the person that you truly desire to be and who you mm. are um I think you know I know quite a bit about your childhood but of course there's parts of your story that I didn't know and I've learned a bit more about you so thanks for sharing okay um, but you know, even, yeah, with your childhood, you, it, you, you, re you reach a fork in the road as a teenager or in your early 20s where you could go left or right and you chose to go either, whichever route is <laughs> Whatever right. one it is, <laughs> yeah. You chose right. Um, and, you know, I mentioned it when you're talking about it, but at 20 years old to have the commitment to self, to see a psychologist mm. and then, at different chapters and periods throughout your life to know that you need help and go and get that help and be committed to that help and to be the mum that maybe you wish that you had or to, mm. to be the parent that you really want to be. Like yeah. that self-commitment is just fucking phenomenal and it's an absolute testament to who you are. And as a highlight to the audience, we will do many an episode on, on mental health and both of yep. us have seen psychologists at different chapters in our life but I think it's just you know a whole host of things but one of the reasons we want to do this podcast is to normalize humanness and yeah often you and I speak about mental health on our respective platforms and I know for me personally whenever I talk about seeing a psychologist I get a lot of messages saying thanks for normalizing this thanks yeah. for talking about yeah. it and yeah, I just want to commend you, I guess, for being so open and sharing, you know, the struggles and everything that you've been through because it's fucking human. It's your story. It's your journey. Sure. And it's a big part of who you are. But also, again, to just 
normalize mental health exists, mm. normalize seeing a psychologist, normalize getting help. And I think there is, you know, we've come a long way with mental health, but I think a stigma still exists that you yeah. have to be fucked up to see a psychologist or yeah. you know, something has to be really wrong. And yeah, it's just no. not, it's not yeah. true. It can just be a healthy part of wanting to be a better person. Like you don't have to be messed up. It, it could be learning a coping mechanism. It could just wanting, be wanting to have a safe place to express yourself. Like, yeah, you don't have to be messed up in air quotes to, mm. to seek help. Mm. Yeah. But I think the more that we talk about it, the more it's normalized and becomes familiar. And yeah, I really respect you and I love how much commitment you have to yourself in you know coming from where you are and what you've been through to who you are today which is just such a fucking awesome human being oh thanks you're welcome thanks <laughs> so yeah with we is there anything else you'd like to share that you know i think no i think there? no i think that's pretty much yeah sums up a little bit of who I am and, and why I'm here but if anyone has any questions anything that they want me to expand on you know make sure you reach out and let us know um we want to make sure we're talking about what's relevant to you guys as well mm, totally to, and- to you cheeky babes to you cheeky babes <laughs> as well is it caught on yet <laughs> no that's not sticking <laughs> um yeah, and, and as we said, we will do an episode on mental health. So if there's anything that you want us to touch on or talk about, feel free to just DM our podcast page and mm. we'll make sure that we touch on it Yep. when we do. Yes. Awesome. Well, we never finish an episode without our love, proud, grateful. We need to make a better name for it. Yes. So, Missy Moo, what Ooh. do you love about yourself proud of and grateful for okay what do I love about myself um my willingness to be vulnerable and to express myself assertively and freely it's something that's Mm. taken a while to learn and I probably had a lot of shame around um but yeah I love that I've kind of worked through the shit that I need to work through to be able to be assertive Mm. proud um again it's, it's really hard to say nice things about myself but I guess this is a great part of the exercise is to learn to be able to praise yourself um I am proud of the person that I am today I think I'm I'm a good chicky babe <laughs> I'm a good- oh, no <laughs> not I'm what I feel is a good person I think that's going to be different for everyone but I'm proud of the values that I have and what I'm teaching my children and um, who I can help them be because of who I am. Mm. Grateful. Um, I don't know. I feel like I said this last episode, but this opportunity to freely express myself. um, Yeah. I'm really excited for this platform and just to be able to talk and learn and um, hear from our audience, our cheeky banks as well. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, and just to connect, to connect with people. <laughs> what about you, I, Kate Fettle? Yeah. If anyone's listening, we want to know. We're trying to come up with a term, like a colloquial term, to call our community. 
and I'm against Chicky Bay. It's because we can't say without laughing. <laughs> oh, what do you think, guys? If you've got like, what did I say? Insert community pet name here. If, if you've got a good idea for our community pet name, um, Chicky Babes is one of them. <laughs> Maybe we're going to do like when we have two, we'll do a poll or something to see yeah, what everyone awesome. says. Um, <laughs> what's your love, proud, grateful, uh, Kate Fertile? Um, I'm grateful. As I look this direction, I can see the ocean and I'm really, really grateful to live where I do and to be able to look out there and see something that makes me really happy every day. Just it is beautiful. So good. Um, proud of what I'm proud of. I'm proud of myself for launching my new course. Yes, um, well done. I went through a lot of shit to get to this place, um, being able to do that. So um, that's good and great and I love that. And I love, um, I love that I'm a great listener. I really care about people and I love to learn about humans and get to know people better. And there's only one way to do that. Shut your mouth and to open your ear holes. So yes. I love that, <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that I do that to humans because everyone has a story and everyone has a voice and everyone has something important to say, mm. no matter who you are. I agree. And our beautiful chicky babes. What are you up to you? Kate is just sitting there shaking her head. She can't contain her laughter. Uh, our beautiful audience, our beautiful insert community pet name here. What are you? What do you love about yourself? What are you proud of? And what are you grateful for? Feel free to share that, tag us so we can see we really want to like get this going, start learning to I think it's a big important step in like really loving yourself and appreciating who you are. Mm, 100%. And it's something that we don't do often enough. I agree. So, I agree. Yeah, we'll be finishing every episode in this way because it's important for us to reflect yes. and share and all of the things. Yay! Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for listening. It's been really awesome to hear from you about your life, Kareen Killing Beck. Ah, uh, yay. <laughs> hopefully you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you did, please go ahead and screenshot the episode, chuck it on your stories, tag us so that we can connect further with you in the DMs. We love you. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. Chicky <laughs> 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 I know I stopped recording. <laughs>